Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication, and this week I'm continuing my episode-by-episode review of Netflix's Stranger Things. So for those of you tuning in to the the first time, um, what I have done with the Stephen King cast, actually it it has been two years now, it's been two years now since I've been doing the Stephen King cast. It was originally envisioned as a... um, a complete examination of all of Stephen King's works, like I said, in the chronological order of publication, which I just set out to review everything from uh, Carrie to, at the time, I believe it was uh, right around the time when uh, Revival was coming out. So in the last two years, I've I've managed to uh, share my thoughts on, on everything that was published in between, including... Uh, uh, his late his his most recent release um, end of watch the conclusion to the the mr Mercedes trilogy along with a bunch of other um, uh, you know Stephen King adaptations but this uh, I, I decided to to really tackle stranger things on on Netflix because anyone that has watched stranger things will know that it is heavily influenced by Stephen King and I was just so taken with it that, that I wanted to, to really get my thoughts out there. So if you have not watched Stranger Things, I would highly encourage you to, to head on over to Netflix and, and, and give it a shot because you're, you're, you're not going to be disappointed. I guarantee you this has been the, the smash hit of the summer. Um, I, everyone that, that has encountered it really has enjoyed it. There's been some critiques here and there and, and, and some pushback on it. Um, for for being less than genuine, there's some circles out there that believe that it's um, I don't know a nostalgia grab. Um, I I personally don't see it that way, but uh, but it's definitely worth your your while. So that's for everyone that that has that is new to the Stephen King cast. For for those of you who are returning, welcome back. Um, I hope that you enjoyed my my last episode. Um, and as you may know, I want to take a few moments to to shamelessly plug my own stuff. So if you have enjoyed the, the, the Stephen King cast and you have enjoyed my thoughts on, 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 on uh, how others fare in the world of horror and you want to see how well I do in, in this particular genre, then there are some options for you. All of the, uh, the subsequent um, uh, magazines that I'm going to list uh, are available on Amazon. Uh, so if any of these pique your interest, you can head on over to Amazon and, and order them up. So the, the first of which... Uh, you can find my short story, Room 207, found in the pages of Dark Moon Digest, issue number two. Um, my short story, This World Will Eat You All the Way Up, can be found in Nine Tales Told in the Dark, issue number nine. My short story, Hopscotch, can be found in the anthology, Wax and Wayne, A Gathering of Witch Tales. Um, the short story Forget Me Not can be found in the pages of Trysts of Fate. And then coming later this year, the short story The Portrait will be found in the Skeptics Must Die anthology. So I, uh, I have a couple other uh, short stories out there in, in, the, in the submission world. And I have a, I have a story that I'm, I'm probably finish up later tonight that we'll be able to, I'll be able to submit. And, and hopefully someone will... We'll take that one, and uh, I'll definitely have more updates for you as soon as uh, more acceptance uh, 
emails come come in so keep your fingers crossed okay up next where i want to do i want to read a listener email because as you know i love getting listener emails i can't do it without you guys i don't do this in a vacuum and um i just i love hearing your thoughts and your experiences and and your views of of stephen king so jeremy writes sir i sent you a message on facebook praising your channel i mentioned it has brought me much enjoyment I've been in law enforcement for around 12 years, and between calls, I often listen to your show while patrolling. It's not only enjoyable, but it helps with easing my mind and allows me to drift off from this reality. I wanted to ask you a question if you don't mind. I remember you mentioning that you were a writer. I also write and have since high school. I've been recently looking for an agent and have run into a couple issues. The first is I typically write novellas and most agents I've found are looking for novels. Another is most, at least the ones I've located here in Missouri, are Christian-based. That causes an issue because my writing is typically more horror-based. Any advice you could spare would be much appreciated. Again, I truly enjoy your podcast and I find it interesting. Somebody other than myself really reads into things. Sincerely, Jeremy. Jeremy, uh, well, thank you um, for, for writing in and I'm glad that the podcast can help. Um, I can't imagine the stress of what it means to be uh, in the law enforcement field, especially this day and age. Everything is just so heightened. Um, so, you know, God bless you and um, th- thanks for thanks for listening. And I hope that I'm able to, to help soften what, what I'm sure can be uh, some rough times. Um, in terms of agents, man, I, I don't know. I'm not there yet. Uh, but if I ever am, I'll definitely share my, my thoughts and experiences there. Um, but if you, for, for you, Jeremy, and anyone else, because I know a lot of other people have written before in the past about writing, and um, you know, I know that uh, people have said that you know, the, this deep dive into Stephen King has kind of inspired them to, to get off their butts and, and do a little bit more writing. It certainly has with, with me personally. Um, so I know that there's a lot of people that, that, that think analytically and, and like to, to write their own, their own stuff. Um, so for, for anyone listening, you all need to, to make sure that you listen to the Story Grid podcast. Um, it is a phenomenal um, tool that, that will be able to help you out. And basically what it is, it's... Um, it's a it's a it's a writer who is going through his process, and it's a conversation week by week between him and a longtime editor in the publishing world about everything you would want to talk about, questions that you would never even think about asking, um, are are discussed in depth. Um, you know the the elements of 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 a story, the character beats that a, you know, a character within a genre have to go through archetypes, um, you know, what to do when you hit a wall of doubt, um, you know, how to break out of a a rut. Everything is discussed. It's a fantastic podcast. I don't listen to it nearly as much as I should, but it's an incredible resource. Um, And it's just good to just turn on and just listen to because, you know, even if you don't actively take the advice that they're giving you it soaks into your mind and it's going to help you be a better writer so um make sure that you head on out and listen to the story grid podcast uh because you won't be disappointed all right up next i want to read the wikipedia summary for stranger things episode two um as i said in, in the previous episode normally at this point when i read the wikipedia summaries of either the the stephen king uh, novel or short story or the, the film adaptation 
usually they're 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 pretty lengthy, but because Stranger Things is so new, the the very very detailed Wikipedia summaries have not come yet. So I do apologize for the 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 how how quick this is gonna take, but uh, but don't worry, I'll I'll get into much more detail with the actual review. So the boys take the girl to Mike's house. Asked her name, she shows Mike a tattoo of 11 on her arm. Mike nicknames her L. At Will's home, Joyce receives a distorted phone call and believes she hears Will's voice, but her phone short circuits. After scientists from the laboratory eavesdrop on a phone call between Joyce and Florence, the police dispatcher, they go to Florence's home in hazmat suits and radiation detectors and find a substance oozing from the walls. At Mike's home, Elle recognizes Will in a photo. When Lucas and Dustin visit Mike's house and threaten to tell his parents about Elle's presence, she uses psychokinesis to lock the door, insisting that informing anyone else about her is not safe. While searching for Will, Hopper discovers a torn piece of Elle's hospital gown. His investigation leads him to a narrow drain pipe originating inside the laboratory's grounds. Nancy goes with her friend Barb to her boyfriend Steve's house for a party while his parents are away. Will's brother, Jonathan, investigates his disappearance using his camera near Will near where Will, Will went missing. Will's brother, Jonathan, investigates his disappearance using his camera near where Will went missing. Got it. Hearing screaming, he runs and sees Nancy, Steve, and friends playing in Steve's swimming pool whom he photographs. Shortly after the couple at Steve's party pair off for romance, Barb vanishes. Joyce receives another call from Will, hears music from his room, and sees something coming through the wall. All right, so um, getting into the review itself. So as I said in the the Wikipedia summary, uh, we pick up where we left off, uh, the kids having just discovered Eleven. As always, they're acting authentically. They're confused. They're curious. They're questioning. Mike continues to show his leadership qualities, offering dry clothes and a comedic scene in which he's about to strip. Um, it's just little things like this. It just makes it fun. You know, this is before, you know, they're really interested in girls. You know, Mike, of course, actually, you know, this is where he starts to become interested in girls. Uh, and it's just, it's just, it's, the Duffer brothers know how to add these little touches that, that, that make it, uh, that, that elevate it so that it's not just drenched in dreariness and, and misery and um, so it avoids it from being grim dark and just too much misery so the kids then formulate a plan for her to stay at Mike's for the night in order to hide the fact that they found her by sneaking out of the house the night before in the basement Mike and Eleven begin their bond it's during the scene when Eleven, Eleven is given the name L by Mike she starts to warm to him and just basically you know warm up period when she says good night there's such a gentle earnestness here that you really root for these characters. She closes her eyes, and the credits begin. Chapter 2, The Weirdo on Maple Street, a play on the Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, the famous Twilight Zone episode. At the buyer's house, Joyce and Hopper have an exchange. Hopper doesn't believe that Joyce heard Will on the phone, and at the merest mention of, her, of his own daughter, Hopper just shuts down. But he doesn't give up. He doesn't reject the case or Joyce. He just sticks to the book and follows procedure by wanting to investigate Joyce's ex. Things, meanwhile, are a lot rosier at the Wheeler household, as Mike and Nancy exchange bickering sibling love towards one another. 
And the great romance begins as Mike heads downstairs and introduces Elle to Eggos. Mike attempts to convince Elle to go outside and knock on the door to pretend that she's just showing up now, but Elle insinuates to Mike that by hiding her, she has unfortunately placed him in danger. The danger, of course, is Dr. Brenner and his crew. The government realizes that the disappearance of Will Byers might have something to do with the creature and the missing girl. The search party continues, and we get a quick look at Hopper's deputies, who will function as a comedy duo throughout the series. We never get a huge glimpse of them, but just like Steve seems to be in his own movie, so do they. Speaking of which, back at school, Steve and his goonish friends, Steve and his goonish friends nab Nancy and Barb. Couple things. You just feel so bad for Barb. She's awkwardness personified. Not necessarily her or the actress, but just the position she's placed in. It's brutal to watch. Her best friend is being dragged into a new circle of friends, and we all know how this is going to play out. Barb knows how it's going to play out. It's agony to watch it continue, but this train is barreling down the track, and we're going to have to follow it to its terrible, inevitable conclusion. Let's talk about Steve's friends, by the way. How awful are they? And purposefully so. There's been talk about how one note they are, but I don't mind it. It shows us how much more developed Steve is as a character. And I love knowing that if Nancy and Steve are walking around in a John Hughes movie, these two are walking around a Friday the 13th movie. We just never get to see them macheted. It's something that I'm looking forward to for next season. We need to see these two encounter a brutal end. And while I, 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 I'm I, on this, this thread, um, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about season two. So... Um, Guys, if you haven't gotten to the end of, of uh, episode 8, you probably should tune off because I, at any point I could just drop a spoiler for how things end and kind of just muse on what's going to occur in season 2. Not that I know, but I've just kind of cobbled together information from interviews with the Duffer brothers. and um, So one thing that we know is that it's going to continue to follow the lives of these characters in Hawkins, Indiana, um, and continue to build off the mysteries uh, that were presented in, in this first season. And we do know that it's going to probably take uh, place a year later. Um, so even though the, the series will, or the season one will end uh, with, you know, Will home and coughing up that slug and... Um, you know, Eleven lost and uh, Hopper looking like he's trying to find her. It looks like it's not going to immediately pick up where we left off, but some time will have passed. And that's something that the, Duff the Duffer brothers are going to do in order to sort of uh, have the, the characters age with the kids themselves, uh, as well as lean into the, the, the one of the sources of inspiration of Stranger Things, and that was it. And I, since... Since the show came out, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the 80s, the 80s, you know, the, the, the nostalgia for everything and all the influences. And there's been a lot of talk about the Goonies. And to me, I, I just don't see the Goonies um, here as much as I see the Losers Club from it. And, and maybe that's splitting hairs, but to me it's not. It's a fundamental difference. I, and I just, I don't like the Goonies for one, guys. I just, I don't like it. The kids just scream all the time and they're too precocious and just... They're kind of just obnoxious, whereas the kids in the, the, the Losers Club from It function more as kids. Um, and I think that the kids here 
function more like the, the kids and the losers club than, than the Goonies themselves. And because the Duffer brothers actively wanted to make the It remake, they actually approached Warner Brothers um, and got shot down because at that point Kerry Fukunaga uh, was was developing it. Um, they they wanted to see what they could do telling a, an It-like tale. So that to me says that this is more it than it is the Goonies. But the reason I bring this up in the first place is because the 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 aging the kids one year and picking up one year later um, kind of speaks to the the narrative structure of it itself with the the um, the story of the kids and then jumping forward twenty eight years later um, and realizing that they have to go back and face the evil that they thought that they had finished with 28 years before. So even though it's only going to be one year and not 28 years, the fact that the kids and Hopper and everyone else realize that they still have some unfinished work to do speaks to uh, the source of inspiration, Stephen King's It. So um, where did I leave off? So playing hooky, Mike gives Eleven a tour of his awesome wood-paneled house. Jonathan, meanwhile, drives back to his father's house as the clash takes him back to a bonding flashback between he and Will. Now, about this, this music is perfect for Jonathan. It's very non-mainstream at the time, so, I mean, it, it just it really paints a picture of who Jonathan is, and it fits with the image of who the buyers must be um, in the eyes of the town. I mean, they're, they're kind of social outcasts. I think that they're... they're they're considered weirdos, maybe a little trashy, um, and and this fits for Jonathan. He's not listening to the mainstream stuff. He's he's listening to the alternative, the the weird at the time. And speaking of the buyers, Joyce meanwhile demonstrates her her crazy kookiness. She gets a new phone from the store she works at, and during the scene we see how difficult her life must be. So going back to what I was saying, that 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 prejudice against her, and for what? For being a woman for being working class? Whatever it is, it's there. And the manager, Donald, who I'm sure is a good man, still shows his reluctance in helping her, and in this moment, we see the struggles she faces on a daily basis. With Joyce and Jonathan away from home, it's a perfect opportunity for the creepy lab agents to scour the property wearing hazmat suits. It makes for an incredibly striking visual that I'm sure will invoke images of, of E.T. or Firestarter or both. And back in the Wheeler house, Mike has to stick Will in the closet, or Mike has to stick L in the closet because his mother has come home, prompting a horrific flashback in which Eleven is dragged through the laboratory hallways as she screams for Brenner, who she calls Papa, before being thrown into a locked room. Now, if Brenner is her biological father or not, it, it's never explained, and I, I personally don't think that that's the case. I just I like the idea that he has to play this role of a father figure in order to establish trust. Him being the biological father is too convenient, I think, and I think that it would water down the the, the, the twisted and complex relationship that, that these two characters have. Um, so, I mean, how bad does your heart break for Eleven? When we see her in the closet, tears in her eyes, you just want for her to have a better life. And it's tragic, knowing that with the government after her, it's just not a possibility. Chekhov's quarry is introduced as Hopper continues to look for Will. We'll see this quarry again twice more, once in the series' saddest scene and one in its most triumphant. Hopper is pulled away to examine the death of the diner owner, 
a death as being considered a suicide. The day before, Hop was the one to state that the strangest thing to ever happen to Hawkins was when the owl tried to use Mrs. Gillespie's hair as a nest. Now the former big city cop can't deny that something stranger is occurring. Jonathan then interrogates his father. Now, there's just not much to say about this scene. It's necessary to show it in the sense that it, it rules out Lonnie as a kidnapper. However, it's something that the audience already knows, so that it, it, it does feel a bit like spinning its wheels. And yes, it does show Jonathan's character. It sheds some insight as to why he is as pained a person as he is, but for anyone that, that does uh, have the, the criticism that the show has a little bit too much padding, this is an example of where that what they're talking about. At the Wheeler house, the, the boys um, have the idea that Eleven might know something about Will. During this conversation, Lucas continues to demonstrate that he's the hothead, and so begins the growing animosity between Lucas and Eleven. Well, it's not really between the two of them mutually, it's just, um, it's just his animosity directed towards Eleven. And he's so mean towards her that it almost makes him unlikable until you stop for a minute and put yourself in his shoes. His friend is missing, and there's this strange girl surrounded by danger that is now in his other friend's house. And she seems to be distracting him, so I get it. Plus, it creates conflict, which is necessary. And as Lucas begins to head out to tell Will's mom, Eleven showcases her ability by shoving the door closed with her mind. Hopper is now investigating Benny's suicide and learns of Eleven, or at least some existence of her. One of the diner goers describes how a boy had been caught in the back of the diner. Hopper immediately thinks that this is Will, and why shouldn't he? Though it's not Will, it's enough for him to begin to realize that the appearance of a child the same day a child has gone missing and the diner owner commits suicide is fishy. One thing that I have to point out here is that the diner frequenter um, that Hop is talking to, not only does he say that the boy was not Will, he refers to, the, to, to Will as Lonnie's boy, not Joyce, Lonnie. It just shows the, the life of this town and that there's a history to this town and, and its citizens. And you know we get a sense of the, the social circles that exist within it. Ah, God, and then poor Barb. Nancy seals her fate. Barb's fate by roping her into going to the party while everyone else is forced to endure another Wheeler dinner. Lucas and Dustin are eating with them, so it's charmingly awkward. And Dustin continues to steal the show by talking about the two bologna sandwiches he ate for lunch. And then Eleven walks down the stairs behind Mrs. Wheeler, and it's comedy gold. Dustin spasms, slamming his fists on the table. Mike spits milk out of his mouth, and poor Holly, the youngest kid, she just seems to be so traumatized living with this family. I love it. The search party continues. Mr. Clark finds a tunnel with a scrap of hospital Johnny on it. We now know this is how Eleven escaped. It doesn't help the search party get in closer to Will, but we start to know a little bit more. Our quartet, using our gunslinger terminology, discusses what friendship means, and I just love hanging out with these kids. Now, watching Barb, you just you want to shout, Dead man walking! Nancy forces her to park down the street, and the horror show commences. It is no less painful to watch this whole party sequence play out um, on the rewatch as it was the first time around. Hopper back home gets introspective. He's not alone, however. He's there with a random woman. Now, is this the librarian that he, he gets reamed out by in a later episode, or is this a different woman? 
I mean, it, it doesn't really matter because clearly he's he's pushing intimacy away. Um, and just spe for specificity's sake, I just don't know whether or not he's just shacking up with uh, multiple women or just one woman over again. Regardless, the goings on of the town are clearly affecting him. This is his call to action moment. In the Wheeler basement, Eleven explains where Will is using Dungeons and Dragons as a visual. Um, so, no, I'm sorry. In the Wheeler basement, Eleven explains where Will is using Dungeons and Dragons as a visual. Now, here we get the confirmation of Upside Down and a monster. Jonathan returns from visiting his father and heads into the woods to take pictures. It's in the service of finding Will, and it will conveniently place him in the location of Steve's party. A little forced but we can forgive it because it ultimately puts Steve and Jonathan on a collision course. And through the photography of undressing Nancy, it paints him as a little creepy. He isn't just the sensitive kid. There is a little bit of a weirdo within him. It doesn't make us outright dislike him, but when Steve eventually breaks his camera, it's more than justified from Steve's perspective. And as for the party, God, it's, just, it's hard to watch. I mean, poor Barb. I mean, you, you never stood a chance. Her cutting her hand on the knife is just one of the most painful things I've ever seen. And I don't mean physical pain. I mean, it's just so, so painful. Not only does this show us the incapability of Barb integrating with Nancy's new friends, but it also sets up the fact that the monster is drawn to blood. But the most painful part is how hard they... <laughs> They just start to party the second she heads to the bathroom to clean up. She's barely out of sight before they turn the party into a pool party. And I hate Steve's friend. I can't I can't think of his name. But uh, the way he just, he thinks he's so cool. The way he just flicks that cigarette. Um, I just, I want to spend more time with with uh, with him. I can't remember his name. And, and Carol. I know that Carol is the name of his girlfriend. Um... But oh, I just want to spend more time with them, and I want them to just get get what's coming to them uh, because they're the worst. Back at the buyer's house, Will um, Will continues to attempt to communicate with his mother, flickering the lights and playing the Clash. Oh, sorry, lady. On first viewing, these events aren't clear, or why the wall suddenly bulges, but. Now it's clear that Will is attempting to reach out to his mom and the monster follows. Now this is a legitimately frightening scene. I will never get sick of the bulging wall trick popularized in Nightmare on Elm Street. So um, so yeah, for those of you who are, are keeping score at home, that's a, definitely a Nightmare on Elm Street reference or at least inspiration. So the episode ends with the symbolic death of Barb and Nancy's friendship and the literal death of Barb as she is taken by the monster. So, let's see, it's it's under half an hour. Um, I have concluded my, my discussion of Stranger Things Episode 2, so, you know, I'll, I'll keep uh, churning these out, and, um, you know, so it's not going to be eight weeks of this. I'll, I'll do a couple, couple in the week. I just did my last one about four days ago, I'd say. So, you know, I might do one, um, I might do episode three sometime later in this week. So I'll, I'll get these out uh, relatively quickly. Um, and then after that, I, uh, I, have, uh, I have to talk about Cell. I guess I don't have to talk about it, but I should talk about it. I mean, I did put in the time watching it. Um, and I will discuss it so that you guys don't have to watch it because it's a pretty, pretty bad movie. 
Um, and then after that, I don't know exactly what I what I have on, on the horizon, but I do know that this October I will be uh, reviewing Jonathan Madbury's Pine Deep Trilogy. So it gives you time to, to run out and, and pick up the Pine Deep Trilogy if you have not done so. And guys, you should because it, it really should be required Halloween reading. If you're a fan of Halloween and you are a fan of Stephen King, then um, Jonathan Madbury's Pine Deep Trilogy is... it's. It feels very Stephen King. Um, so if you're enjoying if you're enjoying Stranger Things because it feels very King inspired, and you like Halloween and you like Stephen King, then then yeah, you, you should definitely go out and read uh, Madbury's stories set in in Pine Deep. Basically, what it is, it's it's three books, um, kind of spanning um, spanning uh, late September all the way through October 31st, and it's. About the events in this in this small town of Pine Deep, Pennsylvania, which is, uh, you know, it's it's a Halloween themed town. It's a big tourist attraction, and uh, just guys, I mean, if if you like if you like spooky things that that go bump in the night, you're you're not you're not going to be disappointed. Uh, it's fantastic. It feels like you know Castle Rock with a Halloween theme. Um, oh, it's so good. So the first one is. Ghost Road Blues, and then Dead Man's Song, and Bad Moon Rising. So it's, I, I can't speak highly enough, but I look forward to this October where I'll be able to talk about these three books. And from what I understand, he's actually written a story or two set in Pine Deep uh, since then, and, and I would definitely love to, to check those out. So if I if I finish my, my reviews and still have some time, maybe I'll, I'll actually churn out a, re two, uh, a review of, of these uh I don't know how many stories, short stories he's set in Pine Deep, but I, I just, I love that town and I would love to, to head back there. So as you can see, my, my little sidekick is, is getting a bit antsy, so I'm going to uh, to go do something with her so um, so she doesn't grow up hating me and feeling neglected. Uh, so guys, thank you for sticking around. If you have time, make sure that you head on over to iTunes and leave a review of the Stephen King cast and feel free to write in at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com and may you have long days and pleasant nights and I will see you here next time where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast. <laughs>